Hello, and thanks for listening to Private Markets Made Human, the podcast focused on significant challenges, opportunities, and developments in the industry told through the stories of experts who are navigating day to day. I'm your host, Katie Moore, and I'm joined by my executive producer, Nick Gassaway. And our guest today is our colleague, Stephanie Davis. She is the co-head of U.S. Private Wealth Solutions. And this episode is all about the rise of the retail investor. Hi, Steph. Great to see you. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're very excited to talk about this topic today. So before we start, maybe tell our audience uh, about your day job and the role you play here at Hamilton Lane. Sure. Well, I started at Hamilton Lane three and a half years ago, and my role has, has morphed into a couple of different things. But head of U.S. private wealth, what does that really mean? In, in a nutshell, it basically means how can Hamilton Lane get our products and services into the hands of a more retail or private wealth looking audience? And that means anything from coming up with innovative product structures to educating the, the, the clients in that landscape and working with platforms. And we can talk a little bit about who our direct prospects and clients might be in the space, but really figuring out ways to get Hamilton Lane, you know, more institutional looking products into those retail investors' hands. That's great. You know, when I think about this like rise of the retail investor, I think of like a phoenix, you know, coming out <laughs> and and like growing, coming up, um, you know, this monumental ascent of the private wealth investor, um, you know, into this whole other part, this other side of the equity market that they just haven't traditionally had access to. I mean, does that excite you? Is there is this are you feeling this energy in the industry? Yes, I am. And my my day job is becoming almost 24-7. I feel like the even since I started three years ago, I feel like it's getting bigger and bigger. There's more attention on this marketplace. I think some of the bigger players are trying to figure the space out. Um, luckily, I feel like Hamilton Lane, we had a we had a leg up on it a little bit. I think in terms of just the client base is becoming smarter, they're becoming more educated on it. The the platforms that we're talking to and the firms that we're talking to that are going to be offering these types of private market products and private market exposure are growing. They're also becoming more technologically savvy, more educated on the space in general. And so I think if you, you know, I use the analogy of a baseball game where you know, if you're in, in in inning nine, I think in this space, really in getting private markets into hand of that retail investor that you mentioned, we're, we're in the first inning. So really exciting on watching the growth of this and kind of being a part of it and watching our firm, you know, come up with solutions for these types of investors. It's been really exciting. Yeah, I bet. I mean, some investors are still like in Little League or, or still taking batting <laughs> practice. <laughs> so we've got a lot of room, exactly. a lot of room to evolve. Um, so maybe if you can just help us sort of frame the retail ecosystem, who are sort of the the key players? How is that different from, you know, the institutional investor market? And what are we talking about here from just sort of, you know, the the base of players? So when you're looking, thinking private wealth in general, and who does who does Stephanie Davis call in on a daily basis? I would say I, I look at them in different channels. So you have your name brands, the, what I call the wirehouses, and that includes Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, the UBSs of the world, the Wells Fargo's of the world, those those big firms that have advisors who would then recommend or sell our products to their end clients. So that's that's one channel that we speak to pretty much on almost on a daily basis. Then you can move into private banks. So 
You have the JP Morgans, the Goldman Sachs. They also need products for their bankers to use for their their clients, their high net worth, ultra high net worth clients as well. Um, move downstream even a little bit further and you have your your broker dealers or what you might hear the term IBDs, your independent broker dealers. That's in the uh, more of a US term, but those are firms that are um, have intermediaries and an intermediary would be a financial planner, an advisor that might source through these broker dealer firms. So we're also selling to those platforms as well. Um, and then even further downstream, you have the good old fashioned, you know, the registered investment advisor who is independent of a larger firm who runs their own books of business, has high net worth, ultra high net worth, mass affluent client base, and they also need access to the private market. So there's a multitude of places where you can find these clients. And in terms of private market investing and product solutions, you need to figure out how to service those clients. What are they looking for? What are the, what are the hurdles that they have to go through um, to get that access? And they all have different, different needs, different levels of reporting and um, ease of use to find where these products are. So those are kind of the the channels that we're that we're focused on in relation to private wealth. That's great. I mean, it's amazing to me how how big that opportunity set is, right? Like when we talk about the total addressable market, it's oftentimes hard to to sort of figure out what that is. But in this in this space, like we know it's it's trillions of mm-hmm. dollars that again is not tapping yet, really more than maybe a toe into the private markets. So you know, how do we think about what what this estimate of of individual assets could be like what could it add to the private market what could it look you know, like yeah well you look at some statistics would be if you're looking at the alternative investment market you have 10.5 trillion dollars it's probably more than that at this point and it's continuing to grow and it's growing really rapidly so approximately we'll say 1 trillion of that is held by retail investors and again is is rapidly growing as New products, more innovative products are coming to market. Um, households have about two percent of their assets now in or allocated to alternatives, which versus a, an institutional investor where their allocations might be more in that twenty to thirty percent. But now we're expecting those household allocation numbers to increase to five percent to ten percent over the next, say, five to to seven years. So, Again, it's moving at a very rapid pace um, where retail investors are having more access to these types of products. Wow. So so the average, you know, retail investor has less than 2% of their assets in private markets. And so if they move to that, you know, 5 to 10%, we're talking like another 10 or $15 trillion coming into the private markets. That's That's almost doubling us as an industry, right? That's that's really exciting um, for the opportunity set. But, you know, historically speaking, there's been a lot of hurdles. You know, what have been some of the reasons that we haven't seen that growth to date? I think a lot of it is around some of just the, the basics of subscribing. You look at a traditional LP structure. So someone wants to invest in a traditional private equity fund, and you have a high net worth investor that has the, has finds this fund that they really like. Well, the minimums are five million dollars or ten million dollars, and it's yeah. really <laughs> hard for them to make one allocation to a fund like that, especially if their net worth is only say their net worth is five million dollars, but they want to make a smaller allocation. So what do they do? They there's different structures now that we can. We'll talk a little bit about the evergreen structures, these semi liquid funds, but 
Other hurdles might be typically these funds were really meant for, we'll say, QP investors, which is a qualified purchaser, which means a very high standard of a, of a client's net worth. And most retail investors might not have met the QP standard. Um, capital calls, you know, the typical drawdown structure, I think, is, is complicated for the retail investor. Um, liquidity, lack of liquidity. These funds, you might be locked up for 10 years, and as a retail investor, that might be just a, too long of a time horizon for you. And then you look at the subscription process where you get a 200-page subscription document, and y- you're trying to fill it out, and it's by paper, and it's maybe in a PDF format, and you are writing it by hand, and you should have a, like a legal person possibly review it. So the subscription process is really challenging as well. Um, tax reporting has been complicated. Um, you get a K-1 for tax reporting on some of these traditional products. So all around, it, it's a the experience is very challenging for a retail investor. Hmm. Yeah, I, I do want to come back to uh, accreditation in a second. But, you know, on the financial advisor side, let's let's spend a few minutes there. I mean, convincing anyone to do something new is is challenging. Think about most of these financial advisors they didn't grow up with private markets, right? They weren't taught it in college or, you know, it's just sort of like, uh, to your point, there were barriers. So it wasn't even sort of part of their arsenal. So what are we doing to, um, you know, how has that evolved? What are we doing to work with them to sort of, uh, you know, get them up to speed and and be able to sort of better understand what it is that we do day to day and how it could be, a, you know, a fit for their clients? I think one of the biggest topics is the democratization of alternative investments, moving those alternative investments, private market, you know, products downstream has been education. I think that is, it comes up in every meeting I have. It is forefront on making sure that these intermediaries, these advisors, these platforms that I mentioned are educated on the space. I think firms are getting better at it. Mm-hmm. The they're creating better content. They're doing things like podcasts like this. So it's getting education in the hands of advisors that that fit their needs, whether it's through a white paper or through podcasts or through uh, video content, um, making sure they're educated on the space, making sure that they understand what they're investing in, making sure that they understand the time horizons, mm-hmm. the tax implications. There is a lot to that. I think firms are getting better at this. I think some of these larger firms that are seeing the oper- the, the you know the trillion dollar opportunity in the space are really trying to figure out how can we capture this market um, and what do they need? What are their needs? Education, I think, is on the forefront. It, it again, it comes up in almost every meeting that we have. How can we train our advisors? How can we get them to understand the space better? Yeah, and I think just you know. To your point, there's been a traditional bottleneck within education, and we're really trying to use technology, right, to sort of <laughs> grow that, scale it, make sure it is more universally available, and and something that, to your point, we can we can easily find things that we may not be as comfortable talking about. Like, you know, if you're not a crypto <laughs> expert, maybe you need to go watch something. You know what I'm saying? I think, yes. I think offering educational opportunities on private markets um, in just a way that you know, it's an ongoing education process. I think that's going to be really key for for getting people more comfortable comfortable with you know more more of the on how it all works. how to be yeah exactly. I think to your point, technology is is a really big one. I think Hamilton yeah. Lane we do a great job with with technology here and and being on the forefront of that, especially when you're talking about an asset class that's still 
subscribes by paper. Okay, so it's it's very different. It's very antiquated. But moving forward, there's firms that like right. the iCapitals of the world and the cases of the world that have done a very, very good job on figuring out how the dynamic of that works. What is the actual process to make that client experience from the moment that Stephanie Davis is talking to them on day one about a product to get the, getting them all the way through the subscription process and then the servicing and the reporting on that. So reporting is important. If you have a client that made an investment into a, a, a private equity fund, they want it to show up on their statement that they get from their sure. advisor. And so even thinking through that, everybody has a different nuance to that, but really being technologically savvy, I do think that firms um, who are ahead of the curve there are going to succeed. There's a lot of, you know, when we're talking to larger firms on on putting a Hamilton Lane fund on their platform, say, where their advisors can use it. Well, what does that look like? Well, that process is is long. It's lengthy. You have due diligence that's done. You have the onboarding of the product. You have agreements. Then it's educating the advisors. Then the advisor has to go to the end client. And then they have to make sure it's going to show up on their statement. So getting through some of that to make it scalable, make it it easier, make that experience better, I think. Um, we have some really great technology that's helping with that. Um, I think also innovative product structures are also helping with that as well. Absolutely. That makes sense. So maybe just, you know, maybe the audience is curious as well, but like what, what are the requirements now to be an accredited investor? And I assume it's different from the U.S. versus international. So, you know, you'll hear terms professional investor outside of the U.S. And then you have the terms, you know, AI, QC and QPA, I always say. And, you know, AI is accredited investor. QC is qualified client, which is a $2.2 million net worth excluding your house. Um, and QP is is a higher level. It's, it's a $5 million net worth requirement. So, you know, typical private equity funds might be in that QP structure. So again, it's just not available to everybody. Sure. It's QC, AI tend to be more retail looking in nature. I think, you know, as the regulators start to continue to look at this, there's always... They're always moving and changing their minds on, on on what that threshold should look like. It is in the benefit to their goal is to protect that end investor, make sure they're sophisticated enough and understand the products that they're investing into, why those regulations are even there. If you look into the market now, you'll probably see these, you know, semi-liquid evergreen funds, evergreen products are are starting to become more in vogue and coming. They've been around for a long time, but they're becoming much more mainstream, I guess I should say. Um, and those are now available in that accredited investor qualified client format. So product structures are becoming more retail friendly. And the regulators are, you know, looking at these and and saying, you know, we do think that that the retail investor should have access to this asset class. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can tell just that they're starting to become more receptive to, you know, allowing the retail investor access to the private markets. But on the other hand, they're trying to add more regulation. Mm-hmm. And I think they're trying to figure all of that out. It, it seems to be like it's going to be an ongoing process for a while. Yes. So whereas internationally, there's some jurisdictions where you can go on an app mm-hmm. and sign up for a private equity fund, right? I mean, there are, there are different governance structures yes. and different governing bodies that do allow for it, but most of them are outside of the, all yes, of them are outside right now, of the US. But someday you will be able to buy a Hamilton Lane product in your 401k plan. So I think that day is coming. I think that, I mean, we're not quite there yet. So 
the U.S. tends, you know, we have very restrictive rules here in the U.S. where even, you know, a fund being registered under the 1940 Act is another layer of protection for that end investor. It adds layers of transparency for those end investors. I think someday we'll be able to pull up our iPhone and buy a share in a Hamilton Lane fund with Bitcoin, hopefully someday. And it's, things will be tokenized. And I don't know, can you have an NTF on a, on a private equity fund? I don't know, <laughs> but maybe you can. Um, I think that it's a very interesting space. And I think it's coming. I don't, we're not, Sorry, there, we're not there, but it's coming. Yeah, I think that's Hopefully I'll still be alive to see it. So. <laughs> So I want to take a step back for a second because we may have some, you know, traditional institutional LPs who are listening to this. Should they be worried? You know, do you think that that institutional investors and retail investors can live in harmony here in the in the in the world of, you know, a 20 trillion dollar industry? Yes, I do. <laughs> I think the 60/40 portfolio days are are over. That's my opinion. I think that Companies are staying private longer, so there is deal flow to be had. I do think certain firms will rise above others um, who are who might be better at the space, especially when you're talking about evergreen products that you need size, you need scale. You might need those to be bigger and and run by some of the bigger players in the space. I think that you know more focus on the private markets as it comes to institutional and retail investors is all is all a good thing. Um, a little bit of healthy competition never hurt anybody. Yeah, and I think that the retail investors do need access to this asset class. They need diversification in their portfolios, and they should have access to them. It, they, it should not only be available to large institutional investors. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think that, you know, for us, it's it's not a concern as, as it relates to allocation. It's really fair competition. And then the you know, the exchanges themselves will evolve. Will there be more of a secondary market and, and add more transparency and liquidity? So there could be net benefits here that we're not even thinking about today that those retail investors could could offer, right? Yes, exactly. And you have firms like the NASDAQ private markets where someday there will be, you can pull up your app and you can put a share, a share of one of your private market funds and it will be sold on a secondary market that's wow. electronic. And it's exciting landscape that I think, again, it's just going to continue to evolve and get better. That's great. So, Seth, when you think about, let's say, Susie's an investor. She's a retail investor, right? And so she's got $10,000, right, to invest. And today, you know, she can put that money in the S&P. You know, maybe she can make 5 to 7% annually. And at the end of 30 years, she'll have like, you know, instead of 10000 she'll have 70, 75000 something like that. But when we're talking about, you know, allowing her access to the private markets, that then compounds at such a bigger rate, right? So this is why we're doing what we're doing. But how does Susie get access to this, right? Exactly. Like, like who should Susie call? Because should she call you or should she call someone else, right? She should definitely not just call me, but <laughs> she's more than welcome to. Um, really, it would be working through that intermediary, that financial advisor. There are things happening where you might be able to just log in to, say, your Schwab account at some point and, and buy an alternative investment fund. But you do having an intermediary there really does help with you decide on, A, what should your portfolio allocation really look like? What does your overall account look like? What diversification do you need? Well, what might be missing in your portfolio? What are your time horizon needs? So you want to look at it very kind of holistically 
in your account before you jump, you know, full in and put 50% of your money into one private equity fund. I think, again, I know I've mentioned these evergreen strategies um, that are coming to market. They definitely help with that. I think um, they help give you some diversification. So you have that smaller investor, you have that Susie who might, you know, putting money into one secondary fund might not be diversified enough for her. So maybe she should be looking at a more multi-strategy fund that might have a blend of direct equity, direct credit, secondaries, um, that more diversified uh, portfolio mix. So her kind of a one-stop shop, I would say, for a fund. Um, And she should be looking at, she's a smaller investor, so she should be very aware of what the liquidity constraints are. These, this asset class, we you still look at it as a long-term investment. It might be easier to access. There is some liquidity there. Most of these funds offer some type of quarterly liquidity, but it's still, again, a long-term asset class. The liquidity, I always say, it's a nice to have. You know, you want to have that there. I know it's there if you need it, but you really should look at these as as long-term as long-term holds. Um, and then Susie should be working with her financial advisor and making sure that. Um, you know, he's done the work on these funds, that he knows the manager, understands the strategies that she's that she's investing in. I think, um, again, it points to education and really knowing what you're investing in, investing in is important. Yeah. Well, you just turned Susie's 10,000 into 200,000 yes, by so. giving her so. this advice. Um, but, you know, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so th- I read somewhere that something like three quarters of of retail investors have not outsourced their activities which is which is crazy to me but um, but such sort of a huge growth area for mm-hmm. us if they're listening what is the best sort of structure that the financial advisors are offering today you keep talking about evergreen what what does that mean and 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 how does that offer them both the diversification and the liquidity that you keep mentioning so I talked about that traditional LP structure. The hurdles were, you know, the longer lockups, the high minimums, the K-1 tax reporting. It's there, There's a list of things. They're still great funds, and there's still ways to access those. If you want a secondary fund that's in a traditional, that traditional longer dated fund, we have created feeder funds. There, there's ways we can give you access to that if that's what you want in your portfolio. But if you're moving down more retail, you're dipping your toe in, or you want that liquidity mechanism, there are these evergreen funds that are you're, they're in market. They're, again, the structures are not new. They've been around a long time, but they are becoming more mainstream. They look more like um, you. Ca- their subscription process is an application. It's not a 200-page document. So it looks and feels a little more like a mutual fund, but you're, the underlying investments are in private assets. So look at it almost as a hybrid. You're getting some of the bells and whistles of, say, a, a traditional mutual fund where you're getting monthly subscriptions. Um, where your money goes into the fund. Say you are investing $100,000, it goes into the fund on day one. You don't have to worry about capital calls. There's no drawdown structure. So that takes that off off the table. It makes that process much easier. It's going to have some liquidity to it. Like I mentioned, mostly these types of funds will have quarterly liquidity. So if you do need to get your money out, there's a mechanism that will be in place that you can do that. The statementing is fairly simple. Again, the subscription processes are typically electronic and they're not done by by paper, by hand. Um, and a lot of these funds in the U.S. will have tax reporting that looks like a, that's a 1099 and not a K-1. So making just the whole, again, it's the whole process, making it easier, making the structure easier and getting it in the hands of that retail investor so they can make that investment. And the whole process is, um, the whole experience is just better. Okay, that's great. 
So maybe before we wrap up, you know, could you just spend a second on where where Hamilton Lane is focused and what do we think is, you know, we're going to be spending our time over the next few years? Well, I think, and granted, it is my department, that the private wealth group is expanding. We are, we're hiring, it's growing. um, And that just points to the growth in the space. So um, putting a lot of, um, you know, people in the right spots in terms of product, creating new products. So that's a group that we are actively looking at what's next. What is it another evergreen product? Is it going to be in the U.S. and outside of the U.S.? Um, the needs are a little bit different in, in different different regions of the world. Um, so innovative products um, in the hands of those retail investors, I think, is something that we are very, very focused on. Servicing those clients, I think clients, high net worth clients, ultra high net worth clients, mass affluent, they want good service and you have to make sure that you're delivering on that. I think that is key. Anytime a client has a bad experience, it's it's a reason for them to pull their money. So we're spending, you know, a lot of time, effort, money, and resources on making sure that client experience is good. Um, and technology. I think we are on the forefront. We work with really great technology providers who are on the forefront of some very interesting, innovative technology to help financial advisors with just analytics or in the space. Um, so I think those who will rise, ab- rise above will be very technologically savvy, be on the forefront of that, be on the forefront of really innovative products, innovative structures, um, and really, really focused on servicing that end client. Wow, that's great. So I guess last question. Um, our CEO, Mario Giannini, said famously a few weeks ago that he thinks in 10 years, institutions and high net worth will have roughly half of their assets in private markets. Do you agree with that statement? And if so, you know, what part of that do you think is going to be kind of most exciting for the retail investor? I will make Mario very proud. I 100% okay. So <laughs> coming out of the words of our CEO, I think, again, it's um, the growth is rapid. It is happening before our eyes. It, it, anytime you read the Wall Street Journal, you see that the, the, there's something about the private markets. There's typically something about that retail investor. There's a story on and another firm is launching another retail looking evergreen fund giving these clients access. I think that Fast forward five years, 10 years from now, again, I think there will be a solution on your iPhone. I think that you, these will be, maybe they'll be tokenized. Maybe there'll be NFTs out there for for these types of products. I don't know. But I think that, again, it does point to, I think technology plays a really big role. Technology has helped get these products in the hands of, of, you know, retail investors. So, um, Mario, yes, I agree with you, 100%. (laughs) Just one time. Just kidding. Well, thank you, Steph, so much for joining me. This has been a pleasure to learn more about Um, the rise of the retail investor. And I'm so excited with your mission to sort of continue to democratize access for both financial advisors and the high net worth individuals and breaking down these barriers and, and really connecting them with the best alternative asset managers. So really excited for you to continue to work to transform private wealth. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. And please join us next time on Private Markets Made Human. <laughs>